This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Why did the largest Protestant denomination in the nation just experience its largest yearly drop in membership in more than 100 years? That's what is going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, which recently announced its biggest annual membership decline since the late 1800s. Now, this is from the most recent annual church profile report compiled by Lifeway Christian Resources, and it showed that from 2018 to 2019, the number of Southern Baptists dropped by almost 288,000 people. And as the Tennessean reported, this is also the 13th year in a row that the SBC has lost members. Not only that, but church attendance and financial financial giving and the numbers of baptisms also are all down. All of this occurring after years of the SBC trying to put a greater emphasis on evangelism and the Great Commission. So what has gone wrong? Is this merely indicative of a general decline in Christianity in America? Or are there some specific reasons why the Southern Baptists in particular have experienced this kind of downturn? And can the SBC be born again? We're going to talk about all of it today with Dr. Chuck Kelly. He is President Emeritus and Distinguished Research Professor of Evangelism at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also director and founder of Innovative Evangelism. And on his blog, drchuckkelly.com, he has analyzed what is really going on in the Southern Baptist Convention and has written a really detailed multi-part series on it called The Dilemma of Decline. And he joins us now. Dr. Kelly, so good to have you with us. How are you? It's a joy to be with you, Janet. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I have really appreciated reading what you have written at your blog, because for a lot of Southern Baptists, they might be looking at the current numbers and thinking, well, this is just a bad year. In fact, you've pointed out it's been a bad year for about at least 20 years, has it not? Yes, it has, uh, Janet. On March 3rd, 2009, uh, I did my first public presentation on Southern Baptist decline in the chapel service of our seminary uh, called the New Methodist, about Southern Baptist becoming the New Methodist. And I first began to talk about this. Uh, I mark it uh, as about 2000 is when the present decline really began, and it is a level of decline unprecedented in Southern Baptist history. That is amazing. Well, now, the Southern Baptists have had a very interesting history for a long, long time. You talk a little bit in your blog about the growth of the SBC through, you know, 1845 all the way through World War II. Then there was explosive growth after World War II. Tell us a little bit about the growth of the SBC and then why the decline kicked in, in your opinion. Well, the growth was a result of a paradigm, a characteristic way of doing church that was, I think, the most effective paradigm for church in the history of American Christianity. Uh, very simply, Southern Baptists did church like a farm, and it was all designed to reach a community for Christ through four basic approaches. And that paradigm just worked magnificently and did very, very well. But the nature of growth is that it tends to undo itself, and you see that 
across all of human life and human existence. The more growth you have, usually the more problems you have. And so the, the three-word history of every denomination in America is growth, plateau, decline. Right. Those three words, that's the history of every American church family. So the SBC had growth, and then that growth leveled out, and it had a period of decline, and then that plate- a period of plateau, and then that plateau teetered over into decline, and we have now been in that decline for at least 20 years. Right. Now, where would you put the conservative resurgence on that timeline? Because there was a blip in church history. I would say the SBC is quite unique in that the 1979 events brought the convention back to a more biblical approach, a conservative approach uh, away from liberalism. So, should that not have been something unforeseen? The fact that Southern Baptists were able to see that happen in the late 70s and the power of that movement continue on for a number of years, would, did that make any difference ultimately, do you think, in the health of the Southern Baptist Convention? Oh, yes, it definitely made a difference. Uh, unprecedented in the history of American Christianity was this movement from the theological left uh, to a conservative theology, and that conservative theology, because of the conservative resurgence, was in place at every SBC entity. But the SBC is not what's happening in its entities as much as it is what's happening in its churches. Right. And while everything was getting straightened out theologically with the SBC, our churches were beginning to show the effects of several different things. Uh, one, demographic changes in the United States as the population of the United States became uh, much more diverse, uh, driven by a lot of different uh, influx of, re- of other religions and many other things, making evangelism a bit more challenging and difficult. Uh, but the, the really big impact, I think, was on our entertainment-driven culture. <laughs> and the culture of the U.S. changed uh, around us, and it began drawing in Southern Baptists. And, and what died, what, what became unhealthy in Southern Baptist life, was our discipleship process. Uh, and that is, I think, the key factor that affected ultimately our evangelistic health. Well, I think you're dead on about that. Now, when you talk about your typical discipleship process as it had been executed in the Southern Baptist Convention, for those who are not Southern Baptists, what did discipleship used to look like when the churches were on a more healthy trajectory? It was a very organized, strategic approach, and uh, plans were laid out for churches to use for congregational discipleship, that is, taking everybody in the congregation and moving them towards more and more Christ-likeness by teaching them the Scripture, by explaining to them Baptist doctrine and faith, and then by engaging them in ministry. And that is very important to engage in ministry because that's when discipleship really gets rooted in somebody's life. And that organized approach to discipleship wore out. Every methodology has a shelf life. And that methodology of discipleship kind of got stale and tired. And that began to wear out uh, in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s. And it was not replaced, and it was not reinvented. It just kind of disappeared, and it was replaced with a patchwork quilt approach to discipleship, which is dealing with unrelated segments 
of the Christian life without any kind of strategic plan. That is interesting. Well, you also mentioned there was a shift in the publisher or the convention's publisher from SBC Church Discipleship more to the marketable faith-based products. And of course, we know the Lifeway bookstores have now generally closed down so that the, the stores aren't even there now. Yeah, uh, there was just so much support for local churches to do discipleship and evangelism. There were all kinds of training opportunities conducted nationally uh, in a state and in a local association uh, geographic area where churches were close together. Training was of, of Christian workers was very highly emphasized. Uh, there, the, the things that the Sunday School Board, LifeWay did, were specifically targeting Southern Baptist churches with their polity and their theology, Uh, and Southern Baptist churches were using the tools that the Sunday School Board provided them. Well, as the use of those tools began to to dwindle in some churches doing other things, then LifeWay began branching out to other Christian groups. And just slowly, and there was nothing evil, nothing malicious in all of this, they just began to make the focus of their attention, how can we appeal to the evangelical Christian marketplace, rather than how can we help the churches of the SBC be Southern? They didn't lose that concern. They wanted churches to be healthy, tried to provide things to help them, but you could just see over time the emergence of that focus on marketable projects for the whole evangelical world. Well, I think that's really very true. If anybody had ever gone into those bookstores, as I certainly did, that there really was a shift from some of the materials that had previously been covered and previously been offered for sale versus more marketable books, books that people actually came back and complained about and said, you shouldn't even be selling these materials. But obviously, what we need to get into is what has happened to the evangelism efforts of the Southern Baptist Convention. We're going to come back with Dr. Chuck Kelly. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Back in a moment. The Ministry of Preborn is dedicated to helping save preborn babies from abortion through ultrasound, and even in this time of national crisis, preborn is there. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn. No college classes and sheltering in have led to an explosion of unplanned pregnancies. Women are panicked about their pregnancies and wanting to abort. Our crisis line is the busiest it's ever been. Here's Catherine, one of our crisis line operators. Girls are scared and often seek an abortion as an easy way out. Girls are often desperate being pregnant in this pandemic. With your help, we are able to be here for them. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Would you join Preborn in the cause for life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Call 855-402-BABY. Thank you. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. 
Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Welcome back. The most current data on the decline in the Southern Baptist Convention has been quite shocking for a lot of people. But Dr. Chuck Kelly is with me, President Emeritus and Distinguished Research Professor of Evangelism at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He's been writing about the Southern Baptist Convention's dilemma of decline at his blog, drchuckkelly.com. And he is joining us this hour to talk in more detail about what is ailing the SBC. Dr. Kelly, we were talking about some of the shifts in demographics and some of the shifts in emphases, the entertainment-driven culture, all of these cultural trends that have had an impact on the SBC and and the numbers. You've said the year 2000 marked the profound turning point for the Southern Baptist Convention because this was when the baptism numbers began to drop. In 2000, the number of churches were still climbing, but the baptisms began to drop. Specifically, why do you think that those baptism numbers began to go down? Would you attribute it to these general cultural issues that we've been discussing, or were there more precise reasons? There are more precise reasons. Uh, every single strategy for evangelism in the history of the Church from the first century New Testament era to the present day has one assumption in every single one of them, one common assumption. That common assumption is the life of a Christian, a person who's been born again, is different than the life of a person without Christ. Right. And what happened in Southern Baptist life was a movement towards more and more likeness to the world. I call it carnalship, uh, made a word to describe it. It was uh, Christians uh, in our churches becoming more interested in worldliness than they were in discipleship. They didn't want to give up worship. They kept coming to worship but they were less and less concerned with their growth in Christ-likeness. That's the really big thing. And what we've learned is that the more we look like our neighbors, the less our neighbors notice us and have any interest in what we're talking about. The second thing that happened in Southern Baptist life was a de-emphasis on evangelism. And beginning in 2010, Uh, the agency responsible for being the voice for evangelism in the SBC shifted its attention away from evangelism and began emphasizing almost exclusively church planting and doing very little in evangelism. And when we lost that steady voice and presence, I think it contributed to the accelerating loss of interest and focus on evangelism, the loss of production of evangelistic tools and strategies to help the churches, uh, that made a a real impact. Then the the third influence was the growth of Reformed theology in Southern Baptist 
life. Uh, it's not heresy. It's a, it's a perfectly legitimate interpretation of Scripture that many evangelical Christians share, but it began to affect Southern Baptist evangelism in lessening the passion to go to our neighbors and share the gospel with them. So you combine those three things, lack of Christ-likeness, lack of attention given to the importance of evangelism, and a diminishing sense of responsibility to go to our neighbors, and what you get is a decline. Well, that's right. There's a lot to talk about there. I want to back up a little bit because you point out there have been at least five efforts to address the Southern Baptist Convention's evangelism crisis at the convention level since 2000. And some people may know certain efforts you know, more well than they would know others. And, and I would also say J.D. Greer has had this current emphasis as he's been president as well. Who's your one? That's another one that, that has been present currently having to do with evangelism. But when you talk about the first one, you talked about Dr. Bobby Welch, who was the SBC president, using his position at that time to emphasize evangelism. You said that was a little too momentary, and it gave way to another plan in 2008, the God's plan for sharing. Now, how was it that God's plan for sharing got derailed in 2008? Uh, It got derailed because it got ignored. It was all set for launch. This was the most massive, well-planned, thoroughly uh, equipped process for evangelism in the history of the Southern Baptist Convention, and every state convention of churches had signed on to participate, most associations, everything was ready for a 10-year massive emphasis on evangelism uh, when the Great Commission resurgence proposals were made, uh, was the name of the emphasis to the Southern Baptist Convention, and that turned the attention completely away from God's plan for sharing and put the attention on church planting and church planting alone. And evangelism became the small print, the little voice, the sideline, while the stage was dominated by this call for church planting. And then the funding changes that were made as a result of GCR began disrupting the evangelism network that was present in Southern Baptist life. So it was the GCR that basically made the God's plan for sharing stillborn. Well, now there's some questions here, because when you talk about the shift of the North American Mission Board more into church planting rather than direct evangelism, for those outside the convention, we might say, how can you plant a church without evangelism? Was this merely trying to plant new churches and move the sheep around, or was there any evangelism effort attached to that new emphasis on church planting? Let me be very clear. There was clearly the intent to be evangelistic and reach people by starting new churches. That, that was exactly the intent. But let me put it this way. If you have a convention of 45,000 churches, how many of those churches are going to be engaged in starting new churches? Uh, at our very best and most, you would rarely have more than a couple of thousand churches involved in that. Yeah. Now, whenever you are watching commercials that you're not interested in, what do you do? You tune them out on television. Yeah. So when all the conversation is about something that you're not engaged in doing, you don't pay much attention to that. So what was the message for those other 43, 44,000 churches of the SBC who were not engaged in church planting. Evangelism is the heartbeat of everything. But when you stop talking about that, 
you have no real impact on those 43, 44,000 churches that are not engaged in the church planting. So it's, they are related. There's no doubt there's a connection. But evangelism has to happen first, and then church planting. If you lead with church planting, you're missing that first step of evangelism. Well, you are. So why did they make the shift to church planting? Was it really an effort to see those numbers go up and maybe church planting would help the numbers get better? Yeah, it was a good faith effort to try to get things going. There's no doubt about it. It was trying something new. It was doing something uh, to stimulate the Southern Baptist Convention to do a more effective job of church planting. But the problem is when you stop really working on evangelism, everything falls apart. So in 2011, uh, the first year after the Great Commission proposal, we had 1,003 new churches started. And then we went from 1,003 to 927, and then 936, and then 985 in 2014, and then in 2015, the bottom started dropping out, Hmm. and the number of church plants began falling. And so, last year, we started 552 new churches, about half of what we did in 2011. Why? A declining tide lowers all boats. And when you're not reaching new people for Christ, you're going to diminish everything else eventually. Well, this is a really important thing to talk about the Great Commission resurgence of 2010, because you also say it got more time and it got more attention than any of the other approaches because of money. Now, why is that a significant part of the equation? Because the, the primary focal point of the Great Commission resurgence was tweaking the distribution of Southern Baptist money. Uh, it was about the cooperative program. I'm, I was the only entity head at the time who did not uh, sign and affirm the Great Commission proposals. And when they asked me to, I said, no, I can't, because it's about dollars, not about souls. Well, they argued with me, but I said, the only thing that's going to change is the percentage of money from the cooperative program that goes from the state conventions to the Southern Baptist Convention. It will get more money from the Southern Baptist Convention. And sure enough, that's it. If you look at that chart that I did in Blog 8, you'll see that the Southern Baptist Convention share of CP funds went from 38% to 41% during the last 10 years. The funding changed, but nothing else did. And so that's the, the problem that you have with Whenever you put the focus on funding, it also pulls everybody back from doing evangelism. They're protecting themselves, protecting their budgets. And it just did not turn out to be healthy. Yeah. Now, Dr. Kelly, when you're talking about the current levels of new churches that are being planted, I think you said 552 last year. Are we talking about churches that are independent with their own buildings and their own pastors? Or are we talking about satellite campuses? In other words, what is the general makeup of these churches that are new plants? Yeah, by virtue of our rules, a new plant has to be a a new church that gets an ID number as a congregation from the Southern Baptist Convention. And to show you how much it's changed, the initial goal when the Great Commission Resurgence Program was launched was to start 1,500 churches a year. what they said we needed to keep up with the population of the United States. Then that goal dropped to 1,200 churches a year. And we just had an announcement from uh, Dr. Ronnie Floyd, the executive committee, of a new evangelism emphasis in which he wants the proposal, the target, to be 750 churches a year. 
Well, that's that's half mm. the goal that we said was necessary to keep up with our population in churches. So again, that decline, when you take the focus off of reaching people for Christ in your community, you stop the flow of new people in the congregations, everything eventually goes down when you stop that flow of new people into congregations. Right. Well, there's a lot more to discuss, and we're going to come back. We're discussing the dilemma of decline in the Southern Baptist Convention with Dr. Chuck Kelly. We'll come right back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Great to have you with us, and great to have with us Dr. Chuck Kelly, President Emeritus of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and Distinguished Research Professor of Evangelism, and he has written a terrific series over at drchuckkelly.com, his blog on the dilemma of decline in the Southern Baptist Convention. The current numbers of decline in the Southern Baptist Convention have not been good, and that's been going on now for some 20 years, and it's really a question to be asking whether or not the Southern Baptist Convention can be born again, as you take from the Methodist um, analogy there, Dr. Kelly, in your blog series. But we were talking about some of the efforts for evangelism at the convention level. We discussed the Great Commission resurgence and the shift more to the emphasis of church planting rather than direct evangelism. And it occurs to me, even with church planting, if you're not doing effective discipleship, as you've already said, uh, that that has been scuttled to some extent over the years, an effective program of discipleship for people who are coming to the churches, then how do you retain people and how do you make sure they're even saved and even growing as disciples of Jesus Christ? You don't. That, that, the genius of the Southern Baptist Convention for so long was this paradigm that combined beautifully evangelism and discipleship. I coined a word uh, that I used in my discussions on this called discipleism. <laughs> when you had evangelism that flowed into congregational discipleship, and Southern Baptists did that beautifully and did that well, and that's what happened to me. That's how I became me. When we began losing the discipleship part of it, we be- eventually saw the evangelism part of it begin to drop. And when the Southern Baptist Convention hit the plateau and we were not declining, but we were going up and down in the same general range and we were just staying about the same place for 20 years, we worked harder and harder on harvesting, bringing new converts in. We should have been working on discipleship and helping Christians look and live more like Jesus. That's the punch. That's the power 
of the gospel impacting other lives when people see the difference Jesus makes. Yeah, that's really good. A couple of trends that I wanted to ask you about. You had talked a little bit ago about the fact that Reformed theology had a certain impact on the Southern Baptist Convention, Calvinistic Baptists, for example, having a, a, you know, a large influence, I would say, on a lot of especially younger Southern Baptists. And that, in turn, even though they would say that Reformed theology should fuel missions because so many great missionaries are, were Reformed, In fact, that didn't go on. But the other trend that kind of has come up, and this coincides with the Evangelism Task Force, which was launched in 2018. I was at that convention. This was about the time that the entire woke you know, controversy came about was around 2018. It really came to the fore. And it's been an ongoing problem within the Southern Baptist Convention where there are conservatives and then there are people, they're very concerned, for example, about Resolution 9 that was passed at the Southern Baptist Convention, talking about using critical race theory as an analytical tool. How much do those two trends of reform theology and then also the wokeness, uh, you know, the emphasis on some of the identity politics, how much has that also impacted evangelism efforts within the SBC. The best way I can describe what I think is the impact is this. There is a current that is always pushing believers away from sharing their faith in Christ, yeah. from evangelism. That current is always there. And because of that current, you have to intentionally seek to move against that current, to go upstream. What happens when you take the spotlight of the conversation from the Great Commission and reaching and discipling people, which has always, from the very beginning, been the focal conversation of the SPC, when you change that conversation and take it away from evangelism, then evangelism is going to drift in that current, pushing it away, and be diminished in the life of the churches and individual Southern Baptist. And that's what's happened. As the conversation has gone further and further afield from the need to reach people for Christ and disciple them, surprise, surprise, (laughs) we do it less and less. We have less and less concern about it. And to be honest, Janet, we haven't yet gotten to what I think is the most dangerous indicator of how far Southern Baptists have gone from who they used to be. Yes, so let's talk about that a little bit. What are your thoughts? My greatest uh, fear, my greatest disappointment is the lack of anxiety over the decline Hmm. in evangelism in Southern Baptist life. Hmm. We're like the elder brother in the Luke 15 parable of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son came home, the father rejoiced, gave a great feast, The elder brother came in and was very angry that the father would have this great celebration for the lost son who came home. And obviously, he simply did not care what happened to that elder brother. And so we've gotten focused on conversations about matters internal to the church, matters that people outside the faith, they just don't care about, they don't pay attention to. And as we have gotten away from our conversation about reaching the lost, and we've seen these numbers go down, and people aren't upset. Mm. I mean, we've lost 2 million members in 10 years, almost 2 million members in 10 years. We baptized more people in 1939 than we did last year. Uh, We have lost worship attendance that's dropped. More than a million people in worship 
in 10 years. If those numbers had happened 20 years ago, it would have been an outrage. It's all people would have been talking about. But I have been beating this drum for a decade, more than a decade, uh, 12, 15 years. I've been beating it in internal discussions with entity leaders, beating this drum in my public messages whenever I address Southern Baptist churches and leaders. And some have been concerned, and there's more attention now because the numbers were so bad last year, but there's just still not this real sense of urgency to turn this around. That is the clearest indicated indication of how unhealthy Southern Baptists have become. We're not upset that we're not reaching lost people. Yeah, that is a real, really, really important point because this kind of dovetails with a video that came out just within the last week or so. You might have seen this, but I don't know if listeners have. It's called It's On Me was was kind of the video. They put this out in reaction to this 20-year decline in the SBC. It was from the North American Mission Board, and it was a number of SBC leaders, and I'm sure they meant very well. But my takeaway, they, they kept saying throughout this video, you know, when, we, when it comes to the decline in baptisms in the SBC, it's on me. And then they'd go to another guy. It's on me. And then they'd say, it's on all of us. But it was more, it came across to me more as a PR piece than it did a genuine concern for lost people who are headed for hell. And I didn't hear any you know, description in, in detail about passages, you know, the Great Commission itself or getting into some of the, you know, the urgency of spreading the gospel at a time like this. It was more kind of, a, oh, it's on me. It's on all of us. And I thought, if you're not going to take it seriously at the leadership level, not that, not that none of them are, but that seemed to me to be a little bit of a trite response to the real urgency and, and anxiety that SBC members and leadership ought to be feeling. Well, there's all sorts of subtext, Janet, and, and one of the things, again, that has indicated how the focused attention has changed uh, in conversations about evangelism at the denominational level over the last 10 years, you hear phrases like pushing back lostness. <laughs> this is not a New Testament phrase. What? <laughs> uh, that the New Testament talks about reaching lost people. Yeah. Uh, when it talks about the lostness, it's uh, Paul talking about being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. Right. It's about lost people being moved from hell to heaven. And you depersonalize the mission of what it's all about. But the people I know who don't have Jesus are going to spend eternity in hell. Right. The people that I love who don't know Jesus are going to spend eternity in hell. And that child that grows up in my home that I push to make great grades and to be good uh, in a sport so he can get a college scholarship, he's going to die and go to hell if he does not meet Jesus. And that sense of consuming passion that we must share the gospel because it makes an eternal difference is what has just faded away, drained away from the Southern Baptist conversation about who we are and what we ought to be about. Well, I want to talk about some hope, whether or not the Southern Baptist Convention can be born again, as it were. We'll come back with Dr. Chuck Kelly. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. Janet Mefford today is proud to partner with Preborn to help save babies' lives. Well, my name is Dan Steiner, and I'm the president of Preborn. Ultrasound truly is a game changer. When a mom comes into a pregnancy center 
under pressure to abort her child. Perhaps the dad's gone. Perhaps her mother is pressuring her. Most of the time in her heart, she doesn't want to abort. But what she needs is something that will give her the strength to choose life against the pressures that are forcing her to consider abortion. That's the ultrasound. If she hears her baby's heartbeat and sees that baby on ultrasound, everything's different. Will you join us in saving babies' lives? Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Meffer today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. One ultrasound is just $28, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved, and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Let's do more than talk about abortion. Let's save some lives. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. It's great to have you with us. And boy, I think this is a really important conversation, not just for people who are within the Southern Baptist Convention, but for all of us. This is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, and its tentacles have stretched far and wide for many, many years. And actually, one of the greatest things about the Southern Baptist Convention over all these many years it's been in existence has been its emphasis on evangelism and discipleship. Whenever you wanted to talk to somebody who really knew his Bible and really knew how to share the gospel, at least in my experience, you could always count on a Southern Baptist to do that. But lately, it's become something of a crisis as these numbers are going down of members within the SBC. Dr. Chuck Kelly is with us, President Emeritus of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and has written on the dilemma of decline, a great series at drchuckkelly.com, his blog. This is my concern, Dr. Kelly, and I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. It really has been the case that if you needed to pick out a Christian who was most likely to share the gospel and have a passion for the Lord Jesus and know his Bible, and know how to disciple, you would have said a Southern Baptist probably first. So how do you get back to that place? Obviously, there has to be an intervention by the Lord. There has to be a revival. There has to be something happening within the hearts of God's people within the SBC to return them to their roots. But what are your thoughts on the return of the SBC to what made it great in the first place? Well, I'm an optimistic pessimist. (laughs) <laughs> and an optimistic pessimist is somebody who knows how bad things are, but who chooses hope in spite of the circumstances. I am an optimistic pessimist. Uh, I think that the challenge is getting a, uh, evangelism to once again be the focal point uh, of the agenda. And there are some folks in the SBC who are really working towards that. And that that's just so very important. Secondly, the, the biggest challenge, the hugest battle we have to fight is the battle of Christ-likeness, of really beginning teaching and challenging people to be Christ-like in their living. And boy, is there going to be controversy 
uh, in fights with that because our people, uh, many of our people have become so very worldly, so very carnal, they're simply not pursuing Christ-likeness and getting that is going to be the big battle because if we don't look like Jesus, people are not going to be interested in what we have to say. Uh, and then the, the third thing that's related to all of these is getting a steady voice, pounding out evangelism matters. The Great Commission is our task. And that's what we've lost for the last 10 years. And getting the North American Mission Board again to pound out that message all the time and to provide resources, to provide strategies, to provide a multiplicity of ways that churches can engage their members in sharing Christ uh, is very, very important. That's the value of that 2018 task force that got ignored uh, at the Dallas Convention uh, is it called for that to happen, and that's actually started in a limited way uh, and I'm encouraged and hopeful about that. But there's one other reason uh, that I'd be happy to come in on later about why I am an optimistic pessimist. Great. Well, we'll get to that in a second. I think that's great. What I wanted to ask you is, if you are to see the rebirth of evangelism within the SBC, on the local church level, what would be most helpful to do first? Would it be evangelism training, or would it be a discipleship program where you'd put everybody in the church through it, from children all the way through adults? How would you structure it? If you could do it within a particular church and duplicate that in a number of SBC churches, what would be the best way of handling that? first place to start is with the pastor going out regularly and sharing his faith with other people. And that, that's where, if that, if that is not happening, then a church is not going to become evangelistic. We actually uh, had someone at NOBT, our seminary, that did a dissertation uh, that looked at that connection. The second thing is to begin setting a target. Uh, how many people do we think our church can reach? And to get pastors and church leaders talking together and together coming up with a goal, how many people do we think we can baptize uh, next year? And to have a goal that you work towards that people think about, that's really, really important. The third thing is to make baptisms a very public event. Encourage people when someone is saved, if they're a child, an adult, or any age, to get them to invite their friends to come to that baptismal service. Uh, and people will come to life ritual events, uh, even if they care nothing uh, about the ritual themselves. They will come because of friendship and family connections. Make baptism a big deal. Get people to come every time there's a baptism and then have a party after that baptism is over and let that person share their testimony, uh, share the gospel, and do begin that kind of way. Those are some ways. And then work on that Christ. Ask yourself, how are we helping people becoming more Christ-like and begin to make that the conversation in the church and put together that strategic, intentional approach to becoming Christ-like. Those are some things that I would recommend. Well, those are all great. And you also mentioned in your blog that most importantly, there needs to be repentance. When you say the hindrance to revival is us, all of us, that is something that applies, I think, to the entire Church of Jesus Christ in the United States right now that we desperately need you know, repentance across the board. And and what would that look like to you? What do you think that if there were a, a movement of repentance to first occur within Southern Baptist churches, what should you repent of? First, the worldliness, the lack of attention to evangelism, all of it all at once. What, what would be your all, thoughts on that? All of that. We have to realize that in the parables of Luke chapter 3, 
culminating in the prodigal son. We are the elder brother. That's us. That was addressed to the scribes and Pharisees who are back at the fringe of that crowd composed of tax collectors and sinners. And that elder brother was the culminating point of all three of those parables. And I know when Jesus said that, he was looking at those scribes and Pharisees. That would be me. That's who I am. With a love for the Bible and a commitment to God's ways. That is where we are. And we have to repent of being the elder brother and, again, embrace our need for compassionate concern and aggressive outreach to the prodigals who are out there. That's all really good. And because really, if you don't have the biblical conviction individually as a Christian that lost people really are going to hell, what will motivate you to evangelize your neighbor? I mean, that it all has to come from that biblical conviction and that understanding that, but for the grace of God and Jesus Christ, I would be going to hell. I owe certain people a debt who were willing to share the gospel with me. That has to happen individually, doesn't it? Not just on a corporate level with certain programs, which can all be good and helpful, but individually, that's, that's yeah, that's why the repentance is necessary and why each of us need to get back to the Word of God. That's correct. And if we will not repent, we will not go. And my one word, seminary course of evangelism, is go. Yeah. Go to your neighbors. Go to your friends. Go to your family. We ought to be sharing our testimony of how we came to Christ with our children like we do bedtime stories. We ought to also share one or more experiences of how Jesus has intervened in our life and really helped us with our children. We ought to talk with our children at bedtime and other times when they crawl up in our laps about us and Jesus with such frequently that when the day for our funeral comes, one of our kids or one of our grandkids is going to say, the favorite thing my dad, my mom, my grandfather, my grandmother loved to talk about was them and Jesus. And that day when Jesus came into their life, and this is how that happened, or that day when Jesus intervened and really helped them at a crisis of their life. We never hear those stories at Christian funerals. Mm. That's because we're not telling the story enough to our children. They know green eggs and ham, but do they know how you came to meet Jesus. That's really important. That is the most important thing. That's excellent. So let's return to the question that you wanted to answer. Why are you an optimistic pessimist, Dr. Kelly? I grew up in the 60s, Janet. What a tumultuous time. Everything was turned upside down. Riots uh, in the cities, an unpopular war, political uh, assassinations, uh, values being unhinged with the drug culture becoming fixed in America, the sexual revolution, everything. And to top it all off, there was a big theological movement of the day called God is Dead. And the cover of Time magazine had God is Dead on the cover. Uh, a theologian at Emory University in Atlanta was promoting this theological perspective of God is Dead. And that was the 60s, and there was no one, no one who saw anything great for Christianity on the horizon. But then the wind blew. And God sent the Spirit on His people in America, and everything changed. We call it the Jesus Movement. When that same Time magazine that had God is Dead on the cover three years later identified Jesus as the man of the year, (laughs) and the hot plays on Broadway where Jesus Christ Superstar 
and Godspell. And the top 40 pop stations were playing Put Your Hand in the Hand of the Man Who Stilled the Water Day by Day, uh, Oh Happy Day, and other Christian songs, Amazing Grace, a huge hit. When Jesus became the conversation of the nation after things had looked so big. If God did that then, I was there. I saw how bad it was. I saw how unexpected it was. And I saw how powerful it was. If God did it then, he could do it again. I love it. Dr. Chuck Kelly, check out his blog, drchuckkelly.com. Thank you so much, Dr. Kelly. God bless you and thanks for being here. Thanks, Janet. God bless. All right, you take care. Thanks for joining us on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time. 